This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, have the Department of Justice and the White House interfered with the classified documents affair? Representative James Comer says they have and will hold a transparent inquiry into who had access. A Chinese corn mill project in North Dakota is being terminated. Find out what the Air Force had to say about the company with CCP ties setting up shop beside their base. China is leading the world in counterfeit and pirated products. A U.S. report released yesterday sheds light on the matter. A deep freeze sweeps through Dallas to Memphis, leaving behind icy roads and cities coated in slushy snow. The icy weather is expected to last until Thursday. And have you ever longed for sharp eyesight? Thought about LASIK? We bring you analysis from an eye specialist on the risks while the FDA is still taking input over new guidelines surrounding the procedure. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. And I'm Evelyn Lee. Good morning. Today is February 1st. And Nikki Haley is moving closer to making her presidential campaign official. Today, supporters of the former South Carolina governor will get an email invitation to a February 15th launch event in Charleston. That's where she reportedly plans to announce her campaign. And news of Haley's plans was first reported by the Post and Courier of Charleston. Haley was South Carolina's governor for six years before serving as ambassador to the United Nations under former President Trump. When she enters the race, Haley will be the first contender to join the contest against her former boss, who is currently the sole Republican seeking his party's 2024 nomination. Some news from Capitol Hill. Representative James Comer says the Department of Justice and the White House have interfered with the matter of classified documents. Comer added that his panel will hold a transparent inquiry into who had access to the documents found at President Biden's Delaware home. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on these developments. I mean, if they want to continue to defend the indefensible, then more power to them. Comer says someone prevented the National Archives and Records Administration from issuing a prepared press release. The Archives General Counsel reportedly said he was unable to tell lawmakers who stopped them from releasing the statement. According to Comer, only the Department of Justice with Merrick Garland or the White House with Joe Biden could have issued that command. Comer expressed concern about who had access to Biden's documents with respect to the investigation they are conducting. We have reason to believe that, that Hunter Biden uh, has uh, had some uh, contacts that would be of concern to our national security. On whether there is any evidence Hunter had access to the documents, Comer had this to say because they were in the house where Hunter Biden lived for two years. Regarding the documents, a spokesperson for President Biden said the president is committed to doing the responsible thing and acting appropriately. Meanwhile, Representative Dan Bishop delivered a speech in the U.S. House. He called out the censorship of conservative voices. He said it proliferates among government agencies, social media companies, tech firms, banks, and capital markets pursuing ESG policies. He promised to, quote, plumb the depths of this corruption. 
Bishop says the Twitter files revealed that the FBI, CIA, and NSA, quote, audaciously abused their power to coordinate big tech and big media, the aim being suppressing information highly significant to the 2020 election, namely the New York Post's Hunter Biden story. But even this jaw-dropping disclosure focusing on an isolated document brings home just how insidious, how brazen the conduct of these massive and unaccountable agencies has become. Bishop then references the Twitter file's revelation that an FBI agent requested access to Twitter's data feed and that the agency was reportedly contracting with a vendor for an analytical tool for open source intelligence. To conduct analytics on the discourse of the American people, mass surveillance of the public conversation, collection and preservation so it can be searched at will by government bureaucrats for whatever purposes. Bishop points out that the data would be provided to the intelligence community. Bishop concluded saying intelligence agencies should be directing their attention abroad for the sake of American security not conducting mass surveillance on their own citizens. The FBI says correspondence with Twitter shows nothing more than traditional, long-standing and ongoing federal government and private sector engagement. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. More from our Capitol. The president says it's time to wind down on treating COVID-19 as an emergency. And House Republicans pushed a bill on Tuesday to immediately end the national emergency, which has gone on for nearly three years now. And today's Melina Wise Cup was at the Capitol yesterday. The Biden administration announced they'll allow the pandemic emergency declarations to end four months from now in May. Now, what this will do is it will eliminate the executive branch's powers that they currently have in dealing with the pandemic, such as their ability to suspend student loan repayments, as well as end the flexibility with regards to reporting in the healthcare arena. Republicans noting the timing of the White House's announcement. And we are moving the federal government away from its perpetual COVID state, giving healthcare workers more freedom and forcing career bureaucrats to start showing up for work again. Uh, by the way, I don't know if anyone noticed, but the White House is now responding directly to the House Republicans. And Republicans say this is long overdue, pointing to a comment that President Biden made back in September when he said that the pandemic is over. But despite those comments, the administration says there needs to be a phased out approach when ending this public health emergency, which is the same message that we're hearing from House Democrats. Here's how the House Democratic Caucus chairman responded when I asked him about the issue earlier. Um, we understand that some proposals that they could be pushing could uh, increase the cost of the vaccine. Um, uh, we want to make sure that testing is available through insurance programs. Those are the types of things that we're concerned about. It's about how this policy affects our community. And in addition to this bill that would end the public health emergency immediately, House Republicans also pushed a few other pandemic related bills today. One would end telework for federal employees. The other would end vaccine mandates for health care workers. Now, what is interesting is that the Senate during the last Congress did vote twice to end this public health emergency, and that that did garner the report, the support from 12 Democrats. We asked Senator John Thune, who is the Republican whip in the Senate, if it's worth another floor vote in the Senate during this Congress. Here's how he responded. I think most people have moved on the pandemic and the worst of the pandemics behind us, and it's time for our policies to reflect that. So whether that ends up translating into a vote here remains to be seen. 
So if the Senate does take up this bill and it does make it to President Biden's desk, he's vowed to veto it and instead allow these pandemic powers to end this May. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. NATO chief Jens Stoltenberg warned of threats posed by the Chinese communist regime today. He says Beijing is substantially building up its military forces without any transparency. That includes nuclear weapons. Here's what he had to say. It is attempting to assert control over the South China Sea and threatening Taiwan, trying to take control of critical infrastructure, including in NATO countries. Moscow and Beijing are deepening their strategic partnership. The two countries train and operate more together militarily, conducting joint naval and air patrols also in the vicinity of Japan. Their economic cooperation is increasing, and China has not condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We will be remiss if we did not expose the challenges that China poses to our security, to our values, and to our interests. Stoltenberg went on to say, along with Russia and China becoming closer, China's investment into new advanced military capabilities underlies the threat the regime poses. He says security is not regional, but global, and that security is interconnected. The NATO Secretary General and Japan's Prime Minister pledged to strengthen ties yesterday. They agreed if Russia wins in Ukraine, it would send a message to authoritarian regimes that they can achieve their goals through brute force. Right. Stoltenberg said yesterday that Beijing is watching the situation in Ukraine closely and learning lessons that may influence its future decisions. He says what's happening in Europe today could happen in East Asia tomorrow. And in other China-related news, a Chinese corn mill project in Grand Forks, North Dakota, is being shut down. The mill was going to be built next to a U.S. Air Force base. State senators released a letter from the Air Force to the public yesterday. It cited risks to national security. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the move that comes after more than a year of debate. The letter from the Air Force clearly states that the proposed project presents a significant threat to national security with both near and long-term risks of significant impacts to operations in the area. The wet corn milling plant was to be built just 12 miles east of the Grand Forks Air Force Base. The base houses sensitive drone, satellite, and surveillance technology. The Chinese company behind the proposed project has reputed ties to the CCP through its chairman, Grand Forks Mayor Brandon Bochensky previously supported the project. The mayor said Tuesday the city will meet the federal government's directive to stop it by refusing to connect industrial infrastructure and deny building permits. North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, who once called the mill a huge opportunity for the state, also issued a statement Tuesday. He says the Air Force's letter has finally given clarity on the national security implications related to the Fufeng project and that the top priority is the security of citizens and the nation. The Fu Feng Group will still own the 370 acres of farmland they bought in Grand Forks last year. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And now this probably doesn't come as a surprise, but there is now state confirmation that China is the global leader in counterfeit and pirated products. That's according to a report put out yesterday by the Office of U.S. Trade Representative. It identified WeChat as one of the largest platforms for counterfeit goods. And today's Jeremy Sandberg tells us more. 
The report says items from China made up around 75% of the value of counterfeit and pirated goods seized by the U.S. in 2021. The U.S. identified 39 online markets and 33 physical markets reportedly engaging in or facilitating substantial trademark counterfeiting or copyright piracy. The report also alleges WeChat is providing an e-commerce ecosystem that facilitates the distribution and sale of counterfeit products to users. WeChat is China's most popular chat app with more than a billion active users. It's owned by Tencent. The U.S. government added e-commerce sites operated by Tencent and Alibaba to its notorious markets list early last year. Other China-based online markets including AliExpress, Baidu Wangpan, and Taobao are also on the list, along with seven physical markets in China that support online sales of counterfeit products. Alibaba says it will continue to work with government agencies to address concerns of intellectual property protection across its platforms. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Still to come, locals in Dallas and Memphis woke up to a city covered in ice. We hear from residents who share their concerns. And do you have perfect vision? And if not, have you ever thought about having LASIK done? The FDA is still seeking input on new guidelines surrounding the surgery. We bring you advice from a specialist after the break. Welcome back. A deep freeze hit the southern U.S. from Dallas to Memphis, Tennessee in the last few days. It brought the cities to a halt. Ice accumulation could near one inch in some spots, covering power lines, roads, and sidewalks. Dallas was slammed by winter weather Tuesday, leaving highways covered in ice and coating the city in slushy snow. Dallas Fire and Rescue responded to nearly 300 crashes between Monday and Tuesday morning. Texas authorities urged North Texans to remain inside with more winter weather predicted. The freezing conditions extend to Memphis, Tennessee, as locals woke up yesterday to a city covered in ice. Streets and businesses are closed. A little frustrated. Um, downtown businesses don't tend to fare very well when the ice hits because we're the first to freeze and the last to thaw. The National Weather Service extends the winter storm warning to Thursday morning as more freezing rain is expected to move into the area. A woman in New Jersey has been arrested for using false documents. She posed as a teenager to enroll in high school. The 29-year-old He Jong-shin is a graduate of Rutgers University, New Brunswick. On her fake birth certificate, she claimed to be 15 years old. She presented it to the New Brunswick Board of Education with the intention of enrolling at New Brunswick High School. Shin spent four days at the school alongside other students before school officials found out her birth certificate was forged. The woman was barred from campus and charged on January 24th. Police are currently investigating the motive, which is still unclear. Well, this is an unfortunate event. Um, communication has been provided to uh, the parents of individuals that the young lady may have come in contact with and communication was also um, provided to all the high school uh, parents um, today. According to officials, she does not currently have any legal representation. She is due to appear at a court hearing in Middlesex County Superior Court on February 16th. Do you have 20-20 vision without glasses or wish you had? The eye surgery LASIK is a popular choice for correcting vision, but some knowledge is needed before making that decision. 
I wanted to learn more about this, so I spoke with a doctor who's also a clinical associate professor of ophthalmology. He describes efforts to help the public know about the risks of LASIK, as well as some alternatives for those with vision problems. Joining me now is Dr. Daniel LaRoche, a top New York City eye specialist. It's great to have you on the show today, Dr. LaRoche. Thank you very much for having me. LASIK is a very common surgery in the U.S., with nearly a quarter million Americans seeking it out every year. But it does come with risks, and recently the FDA underscored the risks by proposing new guidelines like a patient decision checklist. Can you tell us what the risks are and how people can decide if this procedure is right for them? Sure. This is a draft proposal that's still open for feedback from patients and doctors and industry. But basically, uh, people who are going to have LASIK should be aware that it's not a perfect procedure. Uh, some people who have pre-existing conditions like autoimmune disease, dry eye, diabetes may not be good candidates for this. Anytime you do undergo this procedure, there's risks of infection, overcorrection, undercorrection, scarring, decreased vision, seeing halos, um, blurred vision uh, in that respect. So it's not a 100% perfect procedure. Overall, though, about 97% of people are very happy with the procedure. And for example, over 99% of people don't have these kinds of complications after having LASIK done. But is that the true number of people who suffer the side effects due to them showing up years later? Well, so far, uh, LASIK's been out for 25 years. Over 10 million people have had LASIK. But about 3%, 300,000 people are not happy with having had that procedure for a variety of reasons. Some of the reasons are short-term. Some of the reasons are longer-term that can occur. Um, we don't know what the results of LASIK are going to be 40 or 50 years out. But we do know that when you do have the procedure with the cornea, you have a flap that's created by a laser. The laser ablates the corneal tissue and the nerves inside the eye, and then the flap has to be closed to heal it. And like I said, the majority of the time the eye heals well and people can see better and they're happy. But some people, the eye may not heal very well. Some people may have dryness, uh, irritation. Uh, get a toxic corneal uh, 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 inflammation or haziness that can occur. And so those are the, you know, the FDA wants to warn those people that, hey, this is not a perfect procedure. Just take a second look to make sure that you are a candidate for this procedure. Yes, and it is such a convenient procedure. And like you mentioned, it has been around for about a quarter century. And according to New Zealand website Bo and I, it's safe, painless. Most people can see 2020 the next day. But vision is such an important sense. Do the rewards outweigh the risks here? You know, it depends. I mean, um, some people, you know, they wake up in the morning and they cannot see. They have to go grab their glasses to be able to see and to get throughout the day. And if they lose their glasses, they can't see to function. And so uh, vision is very important to depend upon. And if you can become spectacle independent, particularly if you have a large spectacle correction, there is value to that. And that's very important for some people. And some people will swear by that. But there have been some people who, you know, didn't have a good outcome, had a complication, perhaps were not aware of the risks, and maybe those weren't explained to them. So I think the FDA is just giving people more information. We have more information now than we did 25 years ago. And so people could, you know, make an informed decision to make sure that they are aware of the risk and benefits. Yes, awareness is so important here. And people between 40 and 70 years old can start to develop glaucoma, cataracts, and diabetes complications. Are there any alternatives to LASIK that can help them here? Yes, well, people with thin corneas are not gonna be candidates for LASIK. And so 
uh, in that case, uh, they should not consider that type of surgery. But as you get closer to 40 or 50 years of age, presbyopia develops, you get closer to the time of needing cataract surgery. Cataracts start around age 50. So when you get to late 40s or 50s, you can have earlier cataract surgery where they replace the lens inside your eye by doing earlier cataract surgery. We don't touch the cornea. We can place a multifocal lens inside the eye. It reduces your risk of glaucoma by taking the enlarged lens out of the eye, lowering the eye pressure, and improving your vision. So those are the other options for people that are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s in that respect. Well, thank you so much for outlining some of the alternatives. Great talking with you today. Dr. Daniel LaRoche, top New York City eye specialist, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. And a quick business update. A retailer, Bed Bath & Beyond, has announced closure of an entire chain of stores. It's been proven to be a difficult year already, and now the company says it needs to reduce costs and avoid bankruptcy by closing Harmon immediately. That's the company's discount beauty and personal care chain. The company says store closing sales will now follow, which are set to continue over the coming weeks and months. Bed Bath & Beyond joins the ranks of other retailers, some of which have already announced bankruptcy amid a failing economy. And coming up, a radioactive scare, no matter how small, is always unpleasant. But Australian authorities say the missing radioactive capsule lost in the outback has been found. And the queen of the skies flies no more. An era comes to a close as Boeing bids farewell to the iconic 747. That and more when we return. Welcome back. The nearly week-long search is over. Australian authorities on Wednesday found the missing radioactive capsule. The device is smaller than a coin and was lost in the outback along a 870-mile stretch of highway. The missing capsule triggered a radiation alert for large parts of Western Australia. It was part of a gauge used to measure the density of iron ore. Metal and mining company Rio Tinto entrusted the capsule to a special contractor for transport. Officials said the capsule apparently fell off the truck. It was later discovered by a vehicle traveling 45 miles per hour, equipped with special radiation detection instruments. The search team then used portable detection equipment to find the capsule, which was located about six feet from the side of the road. And you know, Evelyn, when you consider the scope of the research area and the size of the capsule, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack. Oh yeah, you're totally right. And the military was verifying the capsule, which would be taken to a security facility in the city of Perth on Thursday. Remember when the first ever jumbo jet ruled the skies? Boeing bid farewell to the iconic 747 jet when it delivered the final plane to Atlas Air yesterday. Thousands of workers, including those who helped build the planes over the past 55 years, watched the last delivery of the historic plane. The jet is known as the Queen of the Skies. The 747 was the world's first twin-aisle jetliner, which Boeing designed and built in 28 months. Since its first flight in 1969, the giant jet has served different missions, a cargo plane, a commercial aircraft capable of carrying nearly 500 passengers, a transport for NASA's space shuttles, and the Air Force One presidential aircraft. The final plane rolled out last December, and it's the 1574th built by Boeing in the Puget Sound region of Washington state. 
It's a certain amount of nostalgia thinking about the fact that it is uh, line number 1574. And considering I was there on number one, it's, uh, it's been, been uh, quite a story. Well, we were up here for uh, till the first flight, or the first rollout, and the first flight I attended that. And that was uh, pretty amazing. You know, I was just really young. I was in my 20s back then. So uh, it's, just, it's just been, a, it's been an incredible journey for that aircraft. It's a wonderful aircraft, and I'm very proud that I was able to be a part of it. What a historical moment. You know, I heard actor and pilot John Travolta, who had actually flown the 747s before, was there at the ceremony too. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the jumbo jet really brought air travel to the masses and represented a slice of Americana. Absolutely. An era comes to an end and we're wrapping up here. If you have any feedback or an interesting story you'd like us to run, write us at goodmorning at ntd.com. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.